Thank you, Lord, for all your gifts, for the gift of your Son, for the life that we have now, Lord, and for the life we can look forward to. We look forward to, Lord, what you want to give us now, a gift of truth, a gift of revelation, and I pray, Lord, that we would have a soft heart to receive, Lord, ears to hear, eyes to see, Lord, what it is you want to bring, that we'd be able to accept your good gift. Lord, and anything that is not of you, Lord, I pray that would pass us by and be quickly forgotten. But I pray, Lord, that your work would accomplish the work for which you've purposed it and that would allow you to do in us what you want to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please, please grab a seat. Thank you, guys. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Clay, if we have not met before. And uh, I know a lot of Christians. Yep, good on me. Not sure if that's necessarily a good thing, but I know a lot of Christians. And uh, it seems to me that... Most of the Christians that I know would consider themselves to be quite generous people. Do you think of yourself as generous? Maybe you do. Christians can, can feel generous, feel like they're generous because, because they give. Perhaps you tithe. Perhaps you give a portion of your income into the church. Perhaps you made some kind of donation in a blue bucket this morning. Well, surely that means you're, you're generous. Perhaps you uh, sponsor an impoverished child. Perhaps you support a, a missionary overseas or maybe a local one. And Well, surely that means that you're generous if you do that because, because giving uh, is, is generous. It's generosity. Isn't that right? I experience the generosity of loving Christian brothers and sisters all the time. And it blesses me and my family no end. Uh, But as I explore the generosity that I've received and also the way in which I'm moved to give, I've come to see that giving and generosity aren't necessarily the same thing. Because there are different motivations that can push us to give up something and to give to someone else. And I don't think that those motivations are all necessarily generous. Let's talk about that a little bit. Actually, I want to do something just a little different this morning. Uh, I personally enjoyed my opportunity just to, to talk with some of my friends here this morning. So we're just going to take a moment just to discuss a couple of questions, to explore the idea of motivations to give. So apologies if this weirds you out a little bit. Apologies if you had no intention of having to talk to anyone today. But let's let's give this a go. I want to just explore. I want you to think for a second about what it is that might motivate someone to give in certain circumstances. Uh... 
four hours on a Sunday morning to play guitar in a church worship service. These guys were here at 7.30 this morning, and they had to get up at a certain time to, to be here for that. Uh, what would motivate someone to, to be here at 7.30 on a Sunday morning uh, to play guitar or a box drum or the fiddle? What might motivate the person to do that? I want you to think about that, and we're going to discuss this just for, for a short time together. Uh, also, a school fundraising raffle for a new pool. This is part of my world now. seems like there's a fundraiser every week at my daughter's school. There's always something that they need. What might motivate me to, say, purchase a $20 raffle ticket for a, a meat pack uh, for... Uh, the school pool. Uh, yeah, that's the meat is definitely going to be a part of it. Uh, and uh, lastly, um, to what would motivate, what could possibly motivate me or you to uh, hand over 10% of your salary uh, to the church uh, via automatic payment or FPOS available in the, in the foyer after the service. What might motivate you to to want to make such such a significant uh, contribution out of your budget. Okay, so think about what could motivate someone. And in a few seconds, I then want you just to turn to those around you. And I want you to share, just work through those three scenarios. Share some of the things that you think might motivate someone. You follow me? Think you can do that? Okay, go. All right. <clears throat> Okay, now we'll uh, see if we can draw out some responses from the congregation. Okay, from your discussions, what are some of the potential motiva- motivators for someone coming in on a Sunday morning uh, to play guitar in the church worship band? Any, uh, any thoughts on that one? David? Oh, it's lovely. Hey. Okay, that's nice. Anything else? It is, actually. It is. It is cool to actually make a contribution and see the response in people. Yep, that's cool. Yes, yes. Having having played uh, a lot of professional gigs, having played a lot of other struggling gigs with startup bands that never went anywhere, a gig for 250, 300 people? That is awesome. Are you kidding me? Do you mean I get to get up here, play my guitar for hundreds of people and see them rocking out? As a, no, seriously, as a musician, this is awesome. I love God. I really do. And I love you guys a bit as well. But I also, I love to play. For me, I mean, that was, that's an awesome godly response, and you kind of want to hear your worship leader saying things like that. And it's sincere, it's true. But at the same time, 
Uh, we are flesh, we are human, and we are wired to play. And this is cool. Playing with these guys is cool. I didn't like not being in the band this morning because, man, oh, I wanted to be up there and I was thinking about some guitar lines I could play over the top because I'm a musician and I love to play. And to be honest, when I play up here, it is not generosity that really moves me. Um, I am a musician and for me, the, the highest honor as a musician is to play for him. And so I'm not... It's not like I'm serving you. It's not like there's any sacrifice for me to get up and play guitar. Are you kidding me? I can't believe that I get to do that every week. So uh, there are different motivators, but yeah, it's not a huge sacrifice for me or for them to uh, to get up and do this. Though it's a lot easier to do it at four in the afternoon than at seven thirty on a Sunday morning. Okay, a school fundraising uh, raffle. There's a meat pack up for grabs. Fundraising for the new school pool for your kid's school. What might motivate you to give? <laughs> exactly. And I want to know. I want to know what's in the meat bag. Is it a little dinky barbecue thing? Or is it, oh, we've got some roast lamb in there. What's going on? We've got some fillet. Yes. The meat. The, the possibility of winning meat. It motivates me. What else? Peer, oh, yes. Peer pressure. Particularly, I think, if you're, if you're around another group of parents, when someone comes around and has the raffle book, it's like, oh, I'm going to look real cheap if I don't do this. Are they judging me because I'm not supporting the school? Yeah, the pool. New school pool, that'd be great. Yes, yes. I want my um, kids' school to have a new pool. That would be an awesome thing. And so somewhere in there, and particularly if there are other parents around me, maybe, maybe I'll buy a, a, a raffle ticket, unless you believe that's ungodly to, um, to gamble. Maybe, maybe, maybe you do. Um, last one, what might motivate you to give 10% of your salary uh, to the church. Yes. An impassioned biblical message on generosity. Amen. Step of faith. Uh, what, what, what might that look like? Yeah, for a lot of us, 10% of, of our salary, that is, that is a big amount, and it would take faith to be able to release that, definitely. Okay, yes. A particular theological understanding of wealth and who it belongs to, that it's actually God's. Okay, definitely. You love your church and your leadership, and so you want to invest in the, in the, in the church family? Great. Yes, that's right. You put, you, you, and these are tax-deductible donations. Have you put in 
your giving with a with a, a giving receipt, which we can provide for you this afternoon if you so wish. Uh, you will get a tax rebate of a third of your giving. So yes, that is that is lovely. Yeah, or of course give it back to the church. Yeah, that's great. Yep. It is the result, the um, the the fruit, the outcome of what you believe. Any uh, one more? Anything else? Keep the church free from the state. That's actually a thing in parts of the world. The the state church in Denmark, for example, uh, that's supported by I believe it's one percent of, uh, of of taxes actually go um, to support the church. Uh, I'm not sure what that means politically, but it, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, might do. So yeah, maybe you have a desire to be obedient to God. And I, I didn't hear this one. I was I was, I was surprised, but because uh, I've heard it preached a lot, and that's the idea that we are obligated to tithe because of the teaching of Scripture. And I know I know a lot of people who are motivated to to tithe, give ten percent of their income because of their understanding of the teaching of Scripture, a sense of obligation from that, not wanting to rob God. Malachi chapter three. I know people who are strongly motivated to give. Uh, a proportion of their income from fear that they would be robbing God and the curse that that might bring on their life, particularly financially. The hope of a financial blessing in return, and I'm not just talking. I'm not talking about a rebate from from the government, but there are promises in Scripture about us uh, being rewarded uh, overwhelmingly in response to our giving. And I know people who are motivated to give well beyond a tithe and an expectation of what God's going to give them back. And of course, maybe we just have a generous heart towards God. Maybe. Maybe. We give. People, companies give for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes it, sometimes it feels good. Does it feel good sometimes to give? I don't really feel it with my tithe because it just goes out every, you know, every every pay in a normal way of payment. But other times, when I've actually got to pull a wallet out, hand some cash over, once I've let go of it, actually, sometimes, sometimes it feels good. It can make us look good, particularly if we have the opportunity to do it in front of someone else. And you don't want to be too showy with it, but it's nice if they subtly see you doing it. Makes you look good. You get a tax break. Like a lot of companies, they get a tax break in, some, in the way you give back to the community. Uh, we give because God has commanded us to. We want to be obedient. We give because we might get something back in return. That would be great. And maybe, ideally, because we are truly generous. All of these reasons are valid, but they do not necessarily reflect a generous heart. Jesus told a story about a generous heart once in Luke chapter 10. So if you've got, uh, got scriptures uh, on you, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read from verse 25. This is, a, this is a passage of scripture that we've read a little bit um, over the last year as we've been exploring uh, 
the great commandment to love God and to love others. And here's a story. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he was filled with compassion. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I've heard a lot of messages on, uh, on that parable. And in, in a number of them, I've heard the, the priest and the Levite ripped to shreds uh, because of their inaction, because they didn't do anything to, to help the man. But the truth is, there was nothing particularly scandalous about them not coming to the aid of the injured man. See, they were bound by law to protect their purity. Their purity was essential for their ministry within, uh, within the people, their ministry at the temple. They needed to be ritually pure to serve to serve God, to serve the people. And there are a number of things uh, that could corrupt that purity, a number of things that they could touch or be in the presence of that would, uh, would corrupt their purity, m- making it impossible for them to serve in their role. One of which was to touch or be in the presence of a dead body, a corpse. Now, I don't know how close they got to this man, but uh, the way it's described in, in the parable is he was uh, half dead. So maybe he appeared to be dead. Maybe he was dying and not being physicians and having uh, modern surgery and medicines. They wouldn't be able to save him necessarily. Uh, so what were they going to do? Were they going to either be in the presence or touching a dead body or would someone be dying in their arms? That writes them off for the next while from their ability to serve as God has called them. They have a responsibility to protect their purity. And that is what it seems in this parable is the most important thing to them. They didn't want to take the risk 
of approaching a man who appeared to be dead or dying. That is not scandalous. That is what listeners 2,000 years ago in, in Judea would have expected. That's normal. They want their priests and the Levites who serve the priests to keep themselves clean. What was scandalous is who did actually go to the man's aid. That's what's really interesting here. It was a Samaritan who who went to the aid of the dying man. And the relationship between Samaritans and Jews at uh, this time in history is very similar to what you might know of the relationship between Israelis and Palestinians today. There was contempt. There was mistrust. There was disdain. There was a long history of animosity. So they weren't getting along at all. So the idea that it was a Samaritan that would go to the aid of a dying Jew, that is scandalous. Why did Jesus choose this example to prove his point? The question was, who was my neighbor? What he was demonstrating is it's not the person who lives next to you or lives in your home. It's not the person that you like. It's not the person who shares the same political views as you. It's not the person who shares the same ethnicity as you. It is whoever you meet, whoever you come across, whatever their background, whatever their beliefs, whoever comes into your path, this is your neighbor. Even if it's your enemy, this is your neighbor. And the way that I would expect you to treat them is the way that you would treat your own family. The Samaritan had every cultural reason not to help the dying Jew, but he did. And he did not because the law commanded him to, not because it would make him look good to his friends, because it would not, not because he would receive a reward, because he would not but because he was filled with compassion. Compassion for a man in need. His generosity came from a compassionate heart, not from law or obligation. In fact, observance of the law didn't move the priests and Levite to do anything for the man. In fact, their understanding of God's law moved them in the opposite direction, suggesting perhaps that they didn't really get the heart of God's law at all. And as you work through Jesus' teaching, Sermon on the Mount, as he speaks about the law directly, you see an example after example, I'm speaking to law-abiding, observant Jews, trying to reveal to them what the heart of the law really is. You've heard it said that you must not murder well, I say to you that if you harbor anger in your heart, hatred in your heart, that you have committed murder in your heart. It's not just what you do which demonstrates a heart after God. It's, it is what is inside you. And your lifestyle should flow from a truly genuine heart of love. And so this is what we see in this parable of the Samaritan. It wasn't observance of a code, moral code, that moves him. It's compassion welling within his heart. 
legalism and obedience move us to give and do only as much as the law requires. That much and probably nothing else. Their concern here is not for the need of the person, but for the requirement of the law. And this is not a generous heart. It may be obedient, but it is not generous. And Jesus has higher hopes for us than this. In the Old Testament, God's people gave a tenth of their harvest and heard to the priests and the Levites because the law required and directed them to do this. In the New Testament, you find believers selling houses, selling property, and giving the proceeds to the apostles because they had a generous heart. There was nothing in the Torah, nothing in the writings, nothing in the prophets requiring them to sell property, to sell houses and give the whole sum to the church for the care of widows. This, this was not in the law, except the law of God um, on their hearts was welling up to move them beyond what the written code had said. Exactly what Jesus was bringing. And that is not to say that people weren't generous before Christ walked the earth. To the contrary, there are numerous examples of sincere and sacrificial generosity and hospitality towards God and people all through the Old Testament. My point is not to denigrate Old Covenant observance, but to emphasize that there is something greater that the Holy Spirit is looking to awaken within us. And that is love. We have preached a, a vast number of sermons over the last couple of years on the great commandment to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength and to love our neighbor. Preach that heaps. And when we actually receive that revelation, it actually does something in us and it looks like something. And what it looks like sometimes is a bit crazy. Sometimes it looks like selling a property or, or giving a car away or doing something radical. The faith of the early church was radical. They died for it. When you're prepared to give your life for something, a property, a house, a car, these mean nothing. When you're prepared to die for your faith and actually give that, your life up, nothing else comes close to that. But it seems like we've come a ways from the radical faith that we read about in Acts and in Scriptures. The parable of the Good Samaritan was an illustration Jesus used to teach on what it means to live by the great commandment, what it looks like to love our neighbors, what it means, what it looks like to be truly generous. Now, we joked earlier, but before you write this off as kind of a long journey around to tithing, this message has nothing to do with tithing. I haven't put out tithing forms at the back of the room to push you there at the end. Because here's the thing. 
for me personally, and this is my own personal conviction, tithing has nothing to do for me, nothing to do with generosity at all. The reason why Leslie and I tithe is not because we are generous towards God. I don't feel like I'm doing God a solid. I don't think like I'm, I'm really sacrificing. For me, tithing personally is about honor. Uh, it is my recognition that everything that I have comes from God. And as my king, I want to offer back tribute to honor him who is my provider. And for me, 10% is the least that I can do. So I don't feel at all generous when I do that. I feel like I'm honoring my king, and that's it. And I don't want to say any more on that because I don't want to talk about tithing today. Generosity for me starts after that. God promises in a number of places in Scripture that our giving will be rewarded. Verses like Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. That sounds great. Perhaps when you hear that verse, perhaps when you read it, it makes you want to give more. I've seen it move people to want to give more. I've heard that passage shared particularly at a number of church conferences when the uh, offering bucket's going around and uh, there's a big push to give and to give more and it comes with the, with the promise that as you give the more you give God is going to pour so much more back into your house financially and it's, and it's presented as the best investment scheme ever Don't worry about, you know, just putting your money in the bank and looking at interest. You give it to God, and he will give you back a dividend greater than you'd get from anywhere else. Maybe it is. Maybe you can take that literally and trust in him, and you'll you'll get back 33 50%, or maybe 100% on your investment. That'll be good. But if if your motivation to give is an expectation of what you will receive in return, then your gift is not generous at all. In fact, it's not a gift. It's a deposit. It's a transaction. It's a transaction. That's what it is. Because your heart is on the dividend, not on the divine. Yeah, that was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah. I like that one too. But all of this comes, it comes back to that point all the time. What is your heart actually on? If your heart is on what you're going to get back in return, then it is not a demonstration of love for God. It is not generous. It's financially prudent, which is not a biblical value. Stewardship is, but fixing everything on financial security, uh-uh. Would you give if there was no hope, no expectation of a return? That is the test. True generosity comes when our motivation is purely love. The biblical word from which we get the word charity is harizomai, which means a gracious gift, a gift that is not earned. And this is how God gives to us. 
God gave the greatest, most beautiful thing he had, the beautiful part of himself, Jesus, he gave this up. He gave part of himself up. He gave his son. God gave Jesus for us because of his love for us. God gives good things to his children all the time because he loves us. That is his motivation. A generous heart compels us to give because we love. So we give to God because we love him. When the woman poured an alabaster jar of nard uh, over Jesus' feet, uh, a sacrifice worth a year's wages, it was not the law of Moses that compelled her. It was her love for Christ. And that is the heart that Jesus is looking for in his church. What he's looking for in us. And so if you do give to the church, it should be from a love for the bride of Christ. A desire to see her dressed and resourced with everything she needs to fulfill the plan that God has for her. It's because you love God's family and you don't want God's family to go without, but to have everything the family needs to fulfill the mission that God has given us. We should give to those in need as we encounter them because we love people, we love our neighbor, we love God's children. And we are moved in compassion just as Jesus was when he saw need. The heart of generosity is love. The more we love, the more we will give. And the more we will give cheerfully. And that in there is a real test as well. When you do respond to a, to a need, when you do respond to an invitation to give, does it come out begrudgingly? Is it hard because you feel obligated and the motivation is not love. I think sometimes there is there is a need to step out in, in obedience, but there is something greater that God is calling us to, and it's this, a truly generous heart. And so the word is that we should be generous but and we should give, but give cheerfully. You can only give cheerfully though if a major work is done in you Jesus spoke about this Jesus spoke about love and how often our love we give to something else it can be hard to love God because the other things we love are money and the things that money buys like houses and cars and guitars and shoes. I don't know. Whatever your thing is. iPods. I, well, no one buys an iPod anymore. I, iPhones. Stuff. We like having stuff. And even if it's not stuff, how many of us like to know 
that there is a good deposit stored in a bank to protect us from the unknown. Who's trusting in the bank to protect them from the unknown? A lot of people, a lot of Christians. Because in our society, that's what you do. If you have means, it's financially prudent to store as much away as you can to protect you from the unknown and to achieve the goals in your life. If money is going to help you achieve the goals in your life, maybe those goals aren't from God. No, I believe there's, that God uses resource to you know, fulfill things, but I have no doubt that what needs to happen more than anything else to achieve God's goals in my life is I need a new heart. I need to be a different person. I need him to work an amazing miracle of transformation till I become the person that he's called me to be. Money, that's not even a part of it. But that doesn't mean that I don't love stuff. And loving stuff, loving money, makes it very hard, if not impossible, to love him. Jesus said we must choose. Love him or money, because we can't love both. They are mutually exclusive. To love God and others as the great commandment requires, we must let go of our hold on money and possessions. How do we do that? Uh, Practice helps. Practicing generosity helps shift our mindset and helps soften our hearts for the spirit to mold. I'm not sure how many of you were here um, my first weekend on the job, my first Sunday here. We had a visiting speaker, a guy called um, Chris Folson was here, and he spoke on generosity. And his message uh, was, had the most profound impact on me uh, on generosity than anything else I've ever heard. And, well, there's a good reason. He didn't just articulate some thoughts well. He also demonstrated that point by giving me a guitar, a very expensive guitar, which was also, well, it was a symbol from God of his confirmation that I was supposed to be here. So it was, it was loaded with a lot of very powerful things for me. But what was incredible was, for me, he demonstrated the generosity that God was sowing in his heart. That was part of his message. And one thing he talked about was that his journey with the Lord, the whole way God was trying to teach him, who was quite a reluctant person, what true generosity was. And it was hard for him but the Lord had been breaking him down. And he talked about what it, um, what it had looked like to practice generosity. And he uh, spoke of something God had impressed upon him, and that was to carry around a wad of $5 notes in his pocket. And the reason was that he, he came across opportunities to be generous all the time. Uh, he worked a lot of, worked a lot of pubs. Uh, he was a professional musician, gigged a lot. And he'd come across people in the streets outside the pub, a lot of homeless people who would ask for money all the time. And uh, it was easy not to give because he didn't have any cash on him. And she could say, oh, sorry, man, got nothing on me. And, uh, and God pushed back on that and said, well, why don't you have anything on you? you obviously, you're not prepared to be generous and he had this, this, this revelation then of what it means to be prepared to be generous. 
That means getting up in the morning, pulling on your pants, grabbing, putting some money in your wallet so that when you walk out the door, you are prepared and ready to be generous when an opportunity presents itself. It's like, oh, wow, okay. And he's like, oh, but Lord, those people, you know, aren't they just going to drink it away? And he got a sense from the Lord, uh, do you want to drink it away? Actually, that was the sense he got. And from that he learned, well, he couldn't judge what other people were going to do. In fact, he didn't know. What he ended up doing was not necessarily giving people, you know, five dollars or whatever, but he'd, he'd buy people a lunch. But he also came to the point that he couldn't judge someone because they were on the streets. But in the end, it wasn't even about them. He recognized that God was trying to do a work in him. And so God wanted him to prepare himself to be generous. And so that meant deciding he was going to be and taking a step to do that. And so that's what he does now. If you go and see Chris Fulson today, he'll have $5 notes in his pocket so that he can always put a meal on for someone if the opportunity comes up. He took a step of faith in the direction that God led him in, and as a result, he grew to become what he desired. He desired to be a generous person. And there's something else that we can do to develop a generous heart. And that is to meditate on two quite loaded questions. Firstly, what would you want people or God to do if you were in need? Matthew 7.12 says, We should do to others what you would have them do to you. Putting yourselves in others' shoes can be a huge step towards empathy and compassion. Putting pride aside, what would you want people to do if you lost your job and you didn't know where your next paycheck was coming and wins wasn't going to be coming in for the next couple of months and even then it's nothing compared to what you'd been earning and things start to get really tough. Now I know a lot of people in the room and their pride wouldn't want people to know and wouldn't want to accept generosity from others. But here's what the Lord's been doing in me since I was a kid actually demonstrating time and time again that if you can't accept generosity how can you be truly generous in return if you don't want to be in people's debt how can you recognize that you are eternally in God's debt and live out of that gratitude what would you want to do what others to do for you if you're truly in need what would you want someone to do if you ran out, of, ran out of gas and couldn't get about to your next payday? Or if you were a solo mum with four kids and no lawnmower and a jungle of a front yard and no food in the pantry, no milk in the fridge, and it's breakfast? See, I, I would want... I would want someone to give, to throw a few bucks together and buy some groceries. Someone to pop around and maybe mow the lawn for mum. And people did. For my mum. I love speaking on this because I have experienced such wonderful generosity throughout my life. As I grew up, with a mum, a solo mum, in need, every day, every week. 
And in that, I got to see God's generosity worked through his people. So this is real for me. And I want to live in response to that. My problem is I'm forgetful. We are forgetful. We're constantly forgetting who he is, what he's capable of, and what he's done for us. So my prayer constantly is, Lord, remind me, help me to remember, because I want to live out of that, out of those memories of what he's done. And not just what he did when I was a kid, but what he's doing now. The beloved apostle wrote in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Anything good in me, he put there. Anything good in me, Anything that comes out of me is a response to the goodness that he's already done in my life. My mother is the most generous person I know. She's also the person who I've seen most blessed by God, by his generosity throughout her life. And my mother watered the seed of that generosity until it produced that same generosity in her. And she sowed that seed in me and has continued to pray into that and water that so that I would go on to be generous as well. I'm sure. Thank you, brother. I'm sure as a, as a Christian, you agree with the principle of what I'm saying this morning. It's kind of hard to argue with the principle of being generous and living out of love. The principle, though, the revealed truth in there needs to find expression in our lives and move from a principle to a paradigm that shapes our world and into a practice. And that means stepping out in faith and acting on it. Obedience is great. There's nothing wrong with obedience, but there's something greater, and that is love. When you give because you love then you have received the heart of Christ and you have made a part of it your own. When you give because you love, you will find blessing in the giving. And when you give because you love, your love will grow and you will find yourself more and more like the one who gave it all. Let's, let's take a moment I just want to. I want to pray on this message. That's what God gave me to share today, and I want to. I want to pray that that what we've received, He will do something very special with. Lord, search our hearts and see if there is anything offensive in us. Lord, if the love of money and material possessions has a hold on our lives. I pray that you would break us loose from this encumbrance and lead us into freedom, trusting in you for our provision, finding our security in you, and living a life that is truly generous as your Holy Spirit performs a miraculous work of transformation in our hearts. Lord, empower us to be generous as you are generous. Help us to see your hand on our life each and every day. 
Help us to recognize and remember all the ways that you support us and protect us and bless us. May that move us to bless you and our neighbors likewise. Every good thing we have comes from you, Lord. And we thank you. We bless you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What can you do to prepare yourself to be generous? I want you to ask the Lord that. If, if, if you hear a call and his leading into developing this generosity, receiving this generosity, we'll put it back on him. Lord, what is something I can do to start growing in this? Okay? All right. It's, uh, that's all I had for you this morning, and I hope that you can take something away from that.